Good morning, family. It's good to be with you. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here, and it is a pleasure to get to spend some time with you. I have some hand sanitizer if you need it. I'm going to put that right there. Well, before we get into the Word, i got a couple announcements that I want to make. First of all, as I said last week, we are excited about our Lead Well program that is now open for application if you'd like to take part in our Lead Well program. And if you don't know what it is, Lead Well is our leadership development program for Grace Covenant Church. It's the primary means by which we train our leaders to be equipped in ministerial, doctrinal, and biblical studies. So if you want to serve as an elder, as a, as a deacon, as a small group leader, this is a great way for you to get equipped to do so. We, we cover topics like apologetics and, and religion and Bible study and New Testament, Old Testament surveys, uh, systematic theology, all, it's, it's really seminary light. So this is a great first step if you've never done these kinds of studies and you want to get, become equipped to, to lead well, uh, this is a great way to do it. We have an information session coming up uh, next Next Sunday, July 12th, and you can register at gracecovste.eventbrite.com. And, and there you can ask questions. You'll hear more about the program. It's a two-year program, so you'll hear a bit about the, the rhythm of how that happens and, and how we lay out the program, what you have to do, and, and who you'll be involved with. So it's, it's a great opportunity to find out more. Please register uh, and find out more about this program because it's beneficial to you. Second of all, uh, we are kicking off our Summer Series Bible Journey. And I'm, I'm very excited about this. This is, this is going to be a great opportunity for you to dig into the Bible and for us to dig into the Bible together as, as a community of faith. Now, the last time we did this, we, we went through the 5x5x5 five by five by five reading plan, and it's a great reading plan. I, I encourage it to you if you've never done a reading plan. But this time, we're going to be actually going through, and, and Pastor Jermaine and I have worked to, uh, along with some, some resources online to select a number of key texts from Genesis to Revelation that'll give us a, a really an overarching picture of God's redemptive work in the Bible. So rather than it just being us working through a particular book of the Bible, we're going to be going from Genesis, Exodus, and, and forward uh, into the New Testament, and then finally into Revelation, and touching on a number of different places in the Bible so you get a breadth that maybe you've never had before, a sense of what the Bible is about as a whole. You know, if we believe that the Bible is not just uh, a number of different books written by individuals, but it is, it is ultimately a, a word of God, it's the book that's written by God, then it has a, an overarching message, and it has a, a clarity and a unity, uh, a cohesion throughout. And so my encouragement to you is, is this is going to be an opportunity for you to see some of the co- cohesion of the Bible, some of the, the consistency and the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If, you know, maybe you think, I understand the New Testament God, but the Old Testament God, I don't really, I don't know about that. Well, m- this will probably shed some light on the connections between God as he expresses himself in the Old Testament and God as he expresses himself in the New Testament. Or maybe you've never considered some of the, the, the prophets and, and what they have to, to say about the New Testament or what the New Testament has to reflect on. In the, in the Old Testament. This is going to be an opportunity for you to do that. Please take part in this. You can register at our website, gracecove.org uh, slash sterling, and there you'll find out more information. And if you register, that's going to allow you to receive daily reminders, which are super helpful if you, if you need reminders. But we also send out video 
resources and, and connect you together with some other people that, in a way that allows for accountability and for you to really succeed in this effort. So this will be a, an eight-week process, 40 days, five days a week. If you don't understand what I just said, don't worry about it. It'll be on the website, and we'll explain more. But it's going to be a great moment. All right, well, last week we talked about zeal before God, and this week we're going to be talking about zeal as it relates to how we ought to live in relationship to one another. Um, you know, when I, was in, when, I was, when I was in elementary school and I was young, I, I took martial arts at this rec center, and, and this was in the, the 80s, and, and martial arts were huge. Uh, Kung fu was big, karate was big. I mean, you had Karate Kid, and you had uh, the Ninja Turtles, and I mean, this was all super popular. And so I would go to this rec center, actually in, in, um, in Dale City, and I would take, take martial arts lessons. And before and after, I would hang out and wait for my parents to pick me up. And there was a, an arcade game called Street Fighter. It was actually Street Fighter II. Um, and, and I would play that. I and mean, then this is, for those of you who are uh, maybe millennial or younger, you had to actually pay with a quarter. You put that quarter in and hope that it, it g- gets received and it doesn't just take your money and then you don't get to play any games. But it's just a quarter, not two quarters, not a dollar. You don't, you don't insert a card that you get from a machine. It was just a quarter and you'd play this game. It had a joystick and six buttons, three for the punching and three for the kicking. And uh, I loved playing this game. Uh, my favorite character was this guy named Guile. He was uh, he was supposed to be uh, a, like a special forces guy. He had like a flat top, blonde hair, and he had a bunch of different moves. But there are a number of different characters that you could play. But I always played this one character, and I knew about four moves. And so I would try to beat that game with those four moves, and I would almost inevitably fail. My strategy was really, it was one-dimensional. It was face- focused on the same basic moves, um, when, when there was a lot more that was available to me. But I, I just wanted to do, you know, I wanted to sweep the legs. I wanted to throw a fireball. I wanted to do like an uppercut. Those were like the three big things that I could do. And, and because of that, my success was limited. And now, life is not a video game, but sometimes we approach life and we, we approach this Christian faith in a similarly one-dimensional way. You know, we can think of the goal of, of our relationship with God, the goal of salvation, as simply avoiding the punishment for our sins. And certainly that's true. Jesus did come to save sinners. And what, what the Bible means when it says that is that Jesus came to save us as sinners from the punishment that's due to us as sinners, right? If God is a good and holy God, a just God, and we have sinned against him, we've committed crimes against God's kingdom, then they, those are punishable. And so Jesus came to bring mercy and grace, and we receive salvation there. But that's not all that we receive. God has not saved us only so that we can go to heaven instead of hell. Um, if, if that were the case, then why would we stick around? If, if God had come and, and saved us simply so that we might go to heaven, then why don't we just get ushered into heaven the moment we put faith in him? God has another purpose, has additional purposes for our salvation that, are, that exist here and now. God expects more of us. Um, our, our salvation ultimately impacts more than our eternal destination. It should also affect our life's focus and goals now. So today I want to look at a text in the New Testament 
um, that, that reminds us to move away from this one-dimensional faith to something more robust. We're going to be look at, looking at Titus. Titus is a, it's one of those lesser-known letters that Paul wrote. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. You can read along with me. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see that the purpose of your salvation is not simply a vertical reconciliation with no no horizontal um, bearing. Lord, help us to see that, that your salvation is a robust, holistic, all-encompassing salvation, and that it should result in the kind of life that is passionately lived out for your glory and the joy of, of your people. That we would live, Lord, I pray that we would live in a way that reflects to those around us the fact that we have a faith in God that is unshakable. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so in this letter, tall, uh, tall, Paul uh, gives Titus instruction to appoint elders and teach people uh, how to live. It's, it's three chapters. I'd encourage you to read it after, after church today. It's, it's very, fairly straightforward. There's a whole lot of commands in this, in this letter especially compared to some of his other letters, the, the, the difference between commands and, and statements of what God has done. There's a lot more commands, I think, in this letter than there are statements of what God has done, whereas if you look at like Ephesians, you see that the first three chapters are, are really about what God has done, and then the, the latter three are about, okay, in, in light of that, this is what we should do. Here, <clears throat> he's speaking to Titus and saying, really, these are some things that I need you to do. Now, he, he intersperses it with, with gospel realities, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but he's, he's coaching Titus in these in, indicatives and in, in these imperatives, these directions about how he ought to live and how he ought to lead. Um, and, and the point he makes in this section really is that pardoned people should be passionate people. Pardoned people should be passionate people, and specifically, they should be passionate towards the end of good works. If you were to do a search, again, if you were to read this in one sitting, it's three chapters, you would see that the phrase good works is, is, is continually repeated at least six times, I think almost seven. I can't remember the number exactly, but, but it's repeated a number of times because Titus, uh, Paul is, is encouraging Titus to make sure that people are focused on, on good works and not bad works, and then he begins to lay out what all this means. So in this passage, he takes a moment, Paul takes a moment to connect the dots uh, between what God has done, our initial salvation, our justification, and, and what our subsequent behavior should look like. And as I've said before, pardon people, people who have been saved, this initial uh, justification ought to be passionate people, how we ought to act. God hasn't just saved us from punishment from our sins, but he's saved us to some things. And as we'll see in the, in the next three verses, he's saved us to a godly life that we should live now. Not only that, he's saved us to a present hope in the return of Christ. And finally, he's saved us to 
holiness and good works as the people of God. I'll repeat those three. He saved us uh, to a godly life now. That's going to be verse 12. He saved us to a present hope in the return of Jesus Christ. That's verse 13. And then he saved us to holiness and good works as the people of God. You and I have been saved to these three things. So let's look at verses 11 and 12 together. Paul says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in in the present age. Part of what's challenging about understanding this text is that it is one long sentence. Now, your your version, if you've read another uh, version, might break these clauses up into separate sentences, but in, in the original language, it is all one long sentence. And he starts with this, for the grace of God has appeared. And what we see here is that, that Paul has been talking, if you go and read chapters 1 and, and 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul has been talking and saying, this is really how you need to live. And it, especially in chapter 2, verses 1 and following, he says, okay, uh, old men need to lead young men, uh, older women should lead younger women. And, and he begins to lay out what our lifestyle should be like, how we ought to live. But he doesn't just leave it at, this is what you need to do, this is how you need to live. The Bible never leaves you with commands that aren't attached to a motivation. It it never gives you uh, commands that aren't somehow, in in some way, uh, founded or nested inside of this gospel uh, 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 realities. And so he says to you, for, he he begins to explain this gospel reality. Live this particular way, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, and he says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. He's saying, guys, we live this way because God has shown his grace in Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared. That's why he says for. And, and he says uh, it's accomplished two things. Listen to, with, with me. The grace of God has appeared, what? Bringing salvation for all people. And then he goes on to say, training us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions. Uh, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present day. I, I know that's a lot of words, but really he's saying that, that the grace of God it does two things. It trains us, or sorry, it brings about salvation for all peoples, whether old or young, male or female, but, but all peoples, and, and he trains us to renounce uh, ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, upright lives. The grace of God has appeared. So he talks about this initial bringing salvation uh, for all people in verse 11. And, and the question is, okay, what does he mean there? And specifically here, he's talking about that initial uh, regeneration, as theologians would say, and, and justification that happens at, really at the, the inception of your faith. So when we're reborn and, and we're made right before God, where our, our status of being sinner is taken by Christ and, and, and exchanged for his status of righteous. That, that whole thing is, is really encompassed in this word salvation. In the Bible, salvation can be a number of different things. It can say that you were saved. Uh, so in some places, uh, the Bible says you are being saved. In other places, it says you will be saved. And that, that refers to different aspects of our salvation. And here he's speaking about the justification and regeneration that happens at the initiation of our faith, the beginning of our sal- salvation. If the grace of God... Um, but he goes on to say, I'm sorry, he goes on to say that it, it brings salvation, but it doesn't just bring salvation, it also trains us to live in a holy way. Now, what, like I said before, if the grace of God only means to you that you've been forgiven and that you're not going to hell, 
And, and it doesn't additionally mean that you're going to live a, a holy life. You haven't understood the purpose of salvation. And that may not be your fault. Maybe, maybe the gospel was presented to you as a um, kind of fire insurance type deal where it's, you know, believe in Jesus Christ so you don't go to hell. Yes, that is an aspect of salvation and certainly uh, a simple faith in that uh, God would honor. But, but our faith in God, our understanding of the gospel has to go beyond this simple, you know, I, I, I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell understanding it has to have implications on our life now. And, and Paul explains that by saying that the grace of God, the gospel, Jesus Christ has appeared bringing salvation, yes, bringing this initial uh, new life and, and, and righteousness, yes, but it also trains us, what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to say no to sin, to say no to those things that previously identi- we identified, to, to, to say no to those things that, that uh, dictated our lives and to to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And, and it's interesting that he says, in the present age. You know, this isn't just something for the future. Sometimes we think about Christianity as something that saves us from something in the future. It's for the future, or it's for something in the past. It deals with the past, and it deals with the future. No, it deals with pres- the present age. It deals with you here and now, and it has implications for your life and my life here and now. You know, and, and as, a, as a, an apple seed, when it goes into the ground, it begins to grow and it ought to mature into something more and more resembling the tree that it came from. In the same way that that's true, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we have new life, then we ought to mature and grow. And in our growing, we don't just get saved from, from hell, but we begin to look like Christ. In the same way that, that that seed gets transformed and begins to look like the apple tree that it came from, when we begin to grow in grace, when we begin to uh, mature in Christ, our character and our nature begins to be transformed and we become more like Christ. <clears throat> we become less selfish and more focused on others. We become less bitter and more forgiving. We become less patient and more loving. We become less greedy and more generous. If the grace of God has appeared in your life, in my life, if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, then our lives will reflect this dual purpose of putting off sin and putting on the character of Christ that he talks about. This renouncing of ungodliness and this living a self-controlled, upright life in the present age. This will always be the case because those of us who trust in Christ ultimately are being motivated by our hope in Christ. Look at verse 13 with me. So he says, uh, you know, the, the grace of God, verse 11, has appeared, and it does two things. It brings salvation, and it trains, and he goes on to say, it trains us, uh, us to renounce ungodliness and so forth. And then it says waiting. So it, 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 that waiting there refers back to the us in chapter 12, or verse 12. And he says, us who are waiting for our blessed hope, namely the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope is a powerful thing. Hope is an amazingly powerful thing. I, I recently started running again, very short amounts of time and distance, but running is better than not running when it comes to health, I've heard. Uh, we'll find out. So I've started running. <clears throat> I hate running. Uh, I loathe running, but I'm doing it. And, and on the trail that I run, there's this, ri- there's this bridge that I run across that kind of ends it, it marks the end of my run. I've decided, you know, for now, I don't want to push it too far. I don't want to hurt myself. So, and I'm 
I haven't run in a long time, so this is the distance that I'm going to run, and this is the bridge that I'm going to. That bridge is my hope. There's nothing about the run itself that is enjoyable. It's all about that bridge. It's all about, I just want to see that bridge. I want my feet to run over that bridge so that I can stop doing this horribly ridiculous thing. You know, I, I don't want to run, and so I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running, and the whole time I'm like envisioning the bridge, thinking about the bridge. I'm going to get to that bridge, and I'm going to stop doing this ridiculous thing. I don't like it, but that bridge, it's, it's my hope. And I love that bridge because it means I'm, my run is over. Now, in, in, this, in this text, in, in this Christian life that we live, Jesus is our bridge. One day he's going to come back, and he's going to make all things that were wrong right. He's going to uh, bring wholeness to our lives. He's going to bring full health to our lives. He's going to bring joy to our lives. He's going to remove all the painful things from our lives. He's going to bring about new heavens and new earth, and there'll be a new creation where we'll do new and exciting things. We won't just be playing harps on, on, on clouds in, in heaven. That's, that's not an accurate picture of what God promises. No, we'll be living our fullest expression of who we are in the presence of the God who loves us, who saved us, who created us, who is above all things. This is going to be awesome. And, and Paul is saying here that as we renounce ungodliness, as we live self-controlled lives, as we're running this race that we don't want to run, we are waiting for our blessed hope. We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. It's not just the appearing of Jesus Christ, uh, meek and mild, with a sheep over his shoulders. No, this is our glorious, our bright and shining, our victorious, our strong, our omnipotent, omniscient God, Jesus Christ, showing up in the most powerful way possible. That's what we're looking forward to. One day that's going to happen. I know, family, that sometimes you look at life and you look at the world and you're like, that, that's a million miles away. That's a million years away. That's nowhere near my life. That has no relevance for my life. And what Paul is saying to Titus is, it has every kind of relevance for your life. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is our only hope. And if you don't grasp onto this hope, you're gonna struggle to put off sin and put on righteousness. He says that our hope is in Christ, and our hope is what allows us to run. Our hope is what motivates us to fight against sin. Our, our hope is what motivates us to fight for the character of Christ in our life. Christ has redeemed us, and he's given us this hope. And, and ultimately, he's redeemed us so that we can run now. Look at verse 14 with me. <clears throat> Paul says, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping for this great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us, and then he says this, to redeem us, right? That's a purpose statement. That, that's explaining purpose. To, he gave himself up for us. He died on the cross to redeem us from all lawlessness. And then he goes, and what? To purify for himself a people for his own possession. Now, we, we could have just put a period there, and, and that would have that been an expression of, of I think, 95% of all Christians' understanding of the gospel, Right? Jesus came to redeem us from all lawlessness, to take away our sin, to redeem us from our sinfulness, and to purify us right, for himself, right? to make us holy, to take away our sin- sinfulness. No, but he says more there. He says, to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are what? Zealous for good works. You and I have a run ahead of us. 
We have a purpose here and now to run out here and now. Christ died to redeem us from all lawlessness. This is the part that we're familiar with. It's salvation from sin and the penalty of sin, death and judgment. But he also died that we might be a possession, a pure, purified and passionate people who are zealous for good works. You know, family, again, Christianity is not an individualized faith with, with just an, a, a, a vertical. He says, I'm, I'm creating a people for his own, not some individuals, you know, uh, John, I really care about you, and it's about you and me, and don't worry about going to church, don't worry about being in a small group, don't worry about relationships with, you know, uh, you know Genesis is about you and me, and, and don't worry about these other things. It's really this vertical relationship between God and, and, and the person. No, he says, I'm creating a people, a united people. Family, you are united, and I hope that you're united to Grace Covenant Church Sterling for a a reason. I'm committed to the people at Grace Covenant Church Sterling, not just because I like them, not just because they like me, but because I've been called to this body of believers. You know, we've been called to this, this visible body of believers until, and until I'm called away, I'm going to stay here. Regardless of, of, of uh, conflict, regardless of, of difficulty, I'm, I'm committed to this people because God is building a people here. And family, if you're part of this people, God is building you into this people to be a purified people who are passionate about him. He's prepared us and he's purifying us or making us holy for a purpose. And that purpose is being zealous for good works. You know, in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul explains in another way. He says that we, uh, we were made, we are God's workmanship, that you and I, God is crafting not just the things around us, not just creation, but he's crafting us as individuals to be his workmanship, being prepared for the good works that he prepared beforehand for us. There are things that God has established and prepared for you to walk in, to do, to be zealous about, that, that only you are to do. And these are good works that God wants you to walk in, good works that God wants me to walk in. And if we were to go and look at verses 2 through 10, we would see some of the things he talks about are very mundane things, but they are good works. He says in verse 2, old men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and, and steadfastness. Older women are likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train young women to love their husbands and children. And it goes on to talk about mundane aspects of life. Family, when we think about good works, I don't want you to just think about, you know, what are these amazing, huge, you know, uh, Twitter-worthy, Instagram-postable activities. No, family, the good works that God has prepared beforehand are, are those things that express your love for God towards those around you. Mothers, it's, it's changing that stinky diaper. Fathers, it's changing that stinky diaper for your wife. Uh, it, it's taking out the trash. It's, it's gathering your children together and teaching them about the Bible. It's being patient when someone cuts you off in traffic. It's being loving and kind towards those who've been unkind to you. It's being forgiving towards those around you. It's doing the mundane. It's not only doing the mundane. Certainly there are other expressions of good works, but it is at least doing the mundane. Everyday faithfulness toward God. Good works are works that reflect the character of Christ in the world. You have been placed in the world, not just to be saved from the world, but to do good works in the world. And the good works that you do, I hope that you understand that, that they should be tied back to Christ. 
We don't want to be doing good works in a vacuum, but we want to be doing good works as an expression of the overflow of God's love in our hearts toward others. He says that he's purifying for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Last week we talked about zeal for God, and and you might think to yourself, okay, well, how can you be zealous for God and at the same time zealous for for works? How can you, uh, the same question could be phrased this way, uh, how can you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and, and at the same time, Jesus, how can you love your neighbor as yourself? Because that's what he said was most important. When, when one of the, the scribes came to him and said, you know, teacher, what is the most important law? He, he, he basically said, he gave him two laws. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, um, depending on which gospel you look at. But he also says, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, family, loving God is confirmed and expressed in the way that we treat those around us. If you say that you love God and you struggle to be kind to those around you, Christ is saying that that he's calling into question your love for God. If you say you're committed to God, but you hate those who are made in God's image, you are calling into question your love for God. And I'm, I'm there, right there with you, uh, struggling through this reality that, that my love for God, my commitment to God has to be express itself in a love and commitment and good works for those around me. If you love God, if you are zealous for God, then you will be zealous for those around you. Family, you and I, we were made for so much more than a get-out-of-jail-free card. This, this gospel, this message, Jesus didn't come to, to give us a, a, an opportunity to just go to heaven, to live in our own mansion by ourselves and do whatever we want to do. No, he's creating something. He's, he's drawing these people together. He's drawing people from every race, uh, ethnicity, socioeconomical situation, um, background, interest, gifting, just all these people. He's bringing them together to show how amazingly creative he is as a God to shape and mold and form all these different people and yet make it possible for them to to be unified and united in Christ. You and I, we are united in Christ because the grace of God has appeared to us. And it's appeared bringing salvation to us making us right before God, giving us a, a, a status of right before God and taking away our status of, of condemned. But not only bringing that, that status, not only making us right, not only bringing salvation, but training us to renounce ungodliness and unworldly uh, passions and to, to live in a self-controlled and godly way as we wait for our blessed hope in Christ and as we trust Jesus Christ who's creating for himself people who are purified, who are passionate Uh, and who are united. Family, what sin or sins do you need to renounce today? What what jackets of sin do you need to take off and and throw in the fire? You know, what do you need to put off today that you've been been holding on to? Is it sin? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it lust? Is it it, uh, envy? Is it jealousy? Is it doubt? What do you need to to put off and, and then And what do you need to put on? What do you need to practice? What good works do you need to practice? What good works do you need to take up? Maybe you just need to take up the simple good work of being kind to your family. Maybe you need to take up the simple good work of of 
behaving at work in a way that reflects the fact that you trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to take up the simple work of, of being patient with the grocery workers or being patient with people who you disagree with. What good works do you need to take up? Not as a way of, of earning a relationship with God, but as a way of expressing and confirming your present hope in Christ. Family, you've been made for more than a get-out-of-jail-free card. God has saved you, so be zealous for good works. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help me to be zealous for good works, and I pray that you would help us to be zealous for good works. I pray that our hope in you, our, our conviction that Christ came to die for sinners like me, would propel me to live in a way that is radically devoted to good works that, that display your glory. And I pray that as a people, we would be a people who are radically devoted, zealous to do good works as an expression of Christ's own work in our life. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to trust. If you've looked at your life and you've seen that there's brokenness and sin, you see that there are things that you know to be wrong and you don't know what to do about it, my encouragement is to recognize there's nothing that you can do about it that will allow you to come before God blameless. But God has done something for you. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life that you and I should have lived, die the death that we deserve and rise again, defeating Satan's sin and death and offering eternal life to anyone who would put faith in him. If you want to trust in that God, pray this with me. Father God, I I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I turn to you. I pray that you would help me, that you you would cleanse me from all sin and unrighteousness and that you would give me a new life. Thank you for the new life that you've given me and I pray that you would help, help me to walk in the good works that you've prepared for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If that was you, let us know. Reach out to some one of the hosts in the chat and let us know because we'd like to walk this out with you. We'd like to help you make the first steps forward in, in growing in your relationship with God, growing in maturity like that apple seed into becoming more and more like Christ. Family, I love you. And I'm excited because you have expressed yourselves to be people who are zealous for good works. And, and if you've been involved with our efforts to, to reach our community, to help with Mobile Hope, to support our, our bag creation and bag drop-offs, thank you. Thank you so much for being uh, passionate about God's glory and being uh, committed to good works. We are... are we are passionate about good works and we're passionate about God's glory in the, the Route 7 corridor area. And so we've been taking up an offering and, and all the proceeds of this offering have been going towards supporting those in need, whether it be people we're supporting through Mobile Hope or we're supporting uh, church members or other people who, who have specific needs because of the challenges that COVID-19 has, has placed upon us. If you'd like to take part in this, I would love for you to do so. It would be a blessing to me and to those around us. You can... Uh, you can take part by writing a check and making it payable to Grace Covenant Church and writing Sterling Benevolence in the memo. You can mail that to our, our office. Alternatively, you can, you can go to our website, gracecub.org slash sterling, and you can give there. Or you can download the app in the, in the iTunes uh, or the iOS or the Google Play Store, and you can give through the app. But however you do so, thank you for doing it. I want to pray and bless this 
offering. Lord God, we do thank you for all that you've done to provide for us. And we take the, the, the opportunity to, to reach out and provide for others. I pray that you bless this offering, that you would allow it to reach those in our community who need physical uh, needs met and who ultimately need to hear your gospel message. Lord, give us opportunities to do both, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you, family. Again, if you gave your life to Christ, if you prayed, um, please don't, don't hesitate to let us know. Um, if you're new, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, you can connect with us. Um, you can go to our website, gracecup.org slash sterling and click the connect button. Otherwise, you can just reach out to someone in the chat and let us know that you're new and that you want to get connected. Love you, family. I just want to pray this blessing over your life. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love you.